Morning, church. Uh, that was a uh, song that I had asked to be sung. Uh, that song is on my playlist. I love uh, to run with that. I don't listen to a lot of Christian music, period, but I have a few on my playlist. That's just my style. Um, and that is on a different playlist. That is on my funeral playlist. I have selected the music for my funeral. Uh, one day, you may be sitting in here at my service going, He's gone. Thank you. There is one honest man among us today. <laughs> and you know what? Those of us who follow Jesus will be in a place where there's no more sorrow and no more pain. And you may see some images of me on the screen. Except for Corey, you're not invited. But I hope you've thought through that. I hope you're thinking about your funeral. We've already looked at the book of Ecclesiastes and seen we ought to think a lot more about our death because we're all going to die. And that is the truth of Scripture. But one day, followers of Jesus will rise and we will forever be with the Lord. Exciting? Life-changing? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, nearly 40 years ago, I met Jesus. Wow, time flies. A businessman developed a relationship with me. Cindy had come to Jesus, and uh, this was the Bible study leader, and he said, where's your husband? And she said, nah, he doesn't want anything to do with church or God or anything. So he said, hey, could I meet him? And he started taking me to lunch and just let me ask questions. And then after building relationship, he gave me a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. And I, I read the book. It's a short read. And uh, some truth began to seep into my heart. Like, I can't ever remember anyone telling me that Jesus was coming back to earth. I wasn't raised in the church, so understand where I'm coming from. I, I can't honestly remember anybody ever telling me that Jesus was coming back. So I don't want to assume that you know or don't know that fact. The Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus is coming back. Now, when I read that book, it, it kind of rocked my cool and calculated business heart uh, because I knew that in that moment, if Jesus returned, I was not ready for it. And it was a matter of months later that I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But what about you? There are two kinds of people in this room right now. Just two kinds. Two kinds of people. Those who believe and those who need to believe. Hmm. There are those who are ready and there are those who are not ready should Jesus return. That's been the purpose of the series we called That's All Folks. That's why we have done this uh, these summer months. And I am honestly quite surprised at the impact this series of messages has had on people. You've either written or told me, like, wow, uh, this has been really good. Uh, I'm wrestling with some things. And, and I say, glory to God. We hope that the word of God stirs all of our hearts and interest. And the return of Christ has got to be uh, foundational. It is in what we believe. He is our coming king. 
Jesus is. And that's a message that we proclaim. Now, if you miss some of these messages, uh, they're all online. I encourage you, hey, uh, check them out and let God use that in your heart as he has done in mine. But I wanted to quickly review, since this is the last uh, of the series, some of the things that we have been talking about over these last weeks. So uh, I'm going to ask, how many of you have uh, sermon notes? How many of you need sermon notes? Okay, so ushers, if you will kindly get them. Since this is the last in the series, I think it's important that we kind of follow along with them if if you so desire. Okay, we all set? So this is kind of review, and we're going to go to this. I hope we're going to go to this. Michael, you said you tested this. <laughs> yes. Got any requests for Netflix? Yes, Elizabeth? Oh, okay. I think we'll stick with this, though. Okay. All right. So, Michael, uh, here we go again. It was just there. It was just, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how this works? Oh, boy, oh, boy. They said they had a... <laughs> it was just there. You ruined it. <laughs> This is why technology is with the devil. Okay, good. Well, we're going to continue and we'll come back to this, but I do want to review where we have been. This man is a little frustrated right now because when it didn't work a couple weeks ago, he gets all wound up about this stuff. I could care less. Uh, and he said, we got it this week. We got it, we got it nailed, right? We're, we're all set. That's all right. I like it. All right, so what we'll do is we'll go to the slides and we'll come back to this in just a moment. We'll fit this in, no problem. Uh, Today we finish with a brief overview of heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Now, heaven is easy. Hell makes me a little bit queasy when I think about it and understand what the Word of God says about the topic of hell. Now, the Bible speaks of the reality of both places. I want you to know that. They are kind of stuck together like peanut butter and jelly would be. You can't have one without the other. Now, I'd like to tell you all about the splendor of heaven. The glories of heaven as portrayed in the Word of God. But I can't just leave it there. I I can't. Because it doesn't do the Bible justice if I do that. The scriptures get right up in our faces, as scripture always does. And it speaks of everlasting punishment. It speaks of wrath. It speaks of justice and God's holiness. And we can't leave out one without the other. Because they are both a part of who God is. But we all want a cosmic Santa Claus who gives us great gifts and never gets mad at us. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Come on, Santa. And we want a higher power that would never, ever send anyone to hell except for some really, really nasty bad guys like, say, uh, Attila the Hun or Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Kim Jong-un or the guy who cut you off on the way to church. They're all deserving of that, are they not? (laughs) At any rate, I got way too much material, too little time, so we're going to dig right in. There is no way to describe hell. 
Let me start with that. There's absolutely no way that we can describe hell. There's nothing to compare it to on this earth. And you may think your life is like hell, but it is not. I can assure you of that. No madman in the depths of his insanity could come close to the horror of hell as portrayed in Scripture. Just a little glimpse of that. No nightmare could produce the dread of hell. No Hollywood blood and guts picture could come close to the terror of this place. Hell, understand, is not... Hell is not a place where Satan commands his evil empire of demons. There is no pitchfork or pointy tail or horns. And we can minimize it. We often do minimize hell in our culture by euphemisms or other phrases. Like you look up hell in the dictionary. And in my dictionary, this was it says as examples. I can run like hell. I can give someone hell. Or I can raise hell. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Or maybe we'll just wait until hell freezes over. Right? We can curse other people to hell. Or we can say, hey, it's not so bad because all my friends are there. Ha, 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 ha. Ha. But before we write off hell as some kind of make-believe myth from an ancient book, a religious book, Let's consider what the Bible says. Now, there are three main designations for our one word hell. Are we up and running yet? Can we try that? Because I could jump in. This would be a good point to jump in if we can. Have we got it? It's okay. I love you. Ah, this is so much fun. Okay, so we'll incorporate the review into this. This is all good. Oh, yes, right where we left it off. Okay, what is this? Okay, it's a timeline, okay? You guys are so smart, so smart. And what's the most important event in the history of the world? The cross of Christ. The death and resurrection becomes the epicenter, not only of Christianity, but of human history. We believe that here as being the word of God. So uh, let's talk for a minute then about uh, the designations. There are three main designations for our one English word, hell. So if you have an English Bible, you will see multiple times the word hell used in the Bible. There are three words to describe that one word, Hell, okay? So uh, the Old Testament Hebrew expression for the place of the dead is called what? Sheol, okay? So everybody, the good, the bad, the ugly, where did they go when they died? They went to Sheol. Sheol is that Hebrew word, Old Testament word, for the place of the dead, okay? Now, sometimes our English word hell is the word Sheol in Scripture. You can't tell that, but it is. All right? Now, we know that Sheol was divided into what? Two parts. Correct. Two parts. Oh, let's see. Mm, Oh, let's try orange. Does orange work? No, it looks kind of red on there, doesn't it? That's okay. Now, let's take the, the bad side of Sheol. What was it like? In our study. Was it a fun place? Was it a place you want to be? 
No, no. What, what was it like? Hot, right? Isolated. Yeah, okay. Go back and listen to those messages. Now, the good part of hell, or good part of Sheol, was like what? Paradise. Called Abraham's bosom. It was a place where great comfort, right? And so, at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, what happened to Sheol? As we have studied this. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me. And, and from that point on, paradise was always spoken of as up and not down. So now this changes at the resurrection of Jesus, that when someone dies, they can go up. Up to the, that point, everyone went down when they died. So we said that Jesus went to Sheol, proclaimed himself the Lord of all, took with him, according to Ephesians 4, uh, paradise up here because Paul went up to paradise, which is the third heaven, right? Remember all this? So paradise is now up here, okay? So now in the New Testament, oh, let's go to the second word. The second word that's translated hell in your English Bible is the word what? Hades, correct. What is Hades? It is simply the New Testament or Greek equivalent of Sheol. Same thing. Okay? So the, those who have died outside of God and his love uh, went down into the Old Testament to this place of, of great discomfort and distress that continued then into the New Testament, but the name changes from Hebrew to Greek, from Sheol to Hades. And that is now the current home of those who await the great white throne judgment. Okay? All right. Then, let's finish this part. What's the next major event to happen, as Michael, Pastor Michael shared with you last week? What's next on the prophetic calendar? The return of Christ, right? And then after the return of Christ, what happens? Thousand-year reign called the millennium. That's correct. So uh, in previous messages, we've talked about those things. And today we're talking about then this final portion, uh, eternity, heaven and hell. Okay? So everybody set? We okay? Any questions about this so far? I want to make sure we're clear because you have to have the foundation in order to get to the next step. Right? So, okay. Where does a believer go now when they die? To paradise. Where does an unbeliever go when they die? Hades, correct. So I want to make sure, I want to make very sure that we're understanding uh, sometimes the theological implications of a song like I Will Rise and on that day I'll be resurrected. That's not when we rise. That's when we're reconnected with our body. You don't stay in the ground awaiting the return of Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So the moment you die physically, and what is physical death? Ooh, I should have had a test for you guys. What is the definition of physical death, scripturally? 
The temporary separation of our body from our soul and spirit. The temporary separation. When they're put back together then at the resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous, we will be reunited with our bodies. Okay? Stay with me on this. Stay with me on this. All right? So, where does an unbeliever go when they die? Hades. Where does a believer go when they die? Paradise. Are there any second chances available for anybody? No. It's important that a man wants to die and then to judgment. Hebrews 9 makes that very, very clear. We don't work off the bad stuff. We don't try to get ourselves better. No. Point on a man wants to die, then we are judged. Okay? Any questions so far? Chris, this better be a relevant question. Relevant, pertaining to the topic. I always like giving Chris a hard time. He's in our home group. Because <laughs> I know you. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, the millennial reign. Yes. So we're to understand that there's going to be all of these non-believers that are still alive under the reign of uh, When we talked about the millennium in that message, uh, what, how is the millennium populated? Where do the people come from? If Jesus comes back to earth during the return and we have the revelation of Jesus, the rapture, and then the revelation, okay? So Jesus comes for his church, then he comes back with his church to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Who makes up the population of the earth at the end of those thousand years? The earth has been devastated during the process of the return. You know, the the bowls and the plagues and all the stuff that happens on the earth from the book of Revelation. So who makes up the population of the earth if the church is taken out? Those who are converted during the tribulation because the Bible says 144,000 Jewish evangelists are released with the power of God and they will convert multitudes of people during the tribulation period. Those then form the population of the millennium. Now, has sin nature been done away with? No, 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 no. So for a thousand years, the saints will reign with Jesus and the population will be this weird intermixing of those who were converted during the tribulation along with the saints of Jesus here on the earth. Now, what about children being born? Will there be unbelievers on the earth during that time? Absolutely, absolutely. Because everyone needs to come to faith in Christ on an individual basis. So, during the millennial reign of Christ, we have that multitude that has been converted, Scripture says, during the tribulation, and the saints of God ruling and reigning with Jesus, according to Revelation 19, during the millennium. Does that answer your question? Well, the question was about the non-believers. Right? So, the non-believers... The non-believers... After who leaves? After who leaves? Oh, at the end of the thousand years. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this lines up then for the Battle of Gog and Magog. 
This is the final chapter. If we get down to here, uh, the Bible says uh, Satan is released after a thousand years imprisoned. He stirs everything up again, and there will be one final confrontation called the battle between Gog and Magog. The battle never happens. The Lord simply says, enough of this nonsense. And the great white throne appears next. There will not be this final conflict between good and evil, as John portrays in the book of Revelation, in a battle kind of form. Armageddon is back here during the return of Christ, not here at the end of the millennium. Okay, good question. I like it. I like it. That's my understanding of Scripture. Good. All right. Uh, let's go back to the slides since you guys are masters at this now and you can pass the test at the pearly gates. Okay. Uh, here's Revelation 20, 11 to 15. I saw a great white throne. That happens right at the end of the millennium. Okay, here's the end of the millennium that you were referring to, Christopher. Thank you for that question. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who's him? Who is the judge? Always the right answer. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. Ah! And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is a book of life. The dead were judged according to what? What they had done. You. As recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it in death and Hades. Now the holding place for all those who have died outside of God gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had. Whoa, deeds are very important. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. So we're talking about hell. Two words so far. Sheol and Hades. Designations for our one English word hell. The final word is the one that rocks my boat. This one kills me. The third word is Gehenna. Gehenna. Gehenna is currently and has been for thousands of years a valley to the south of Jerusalem. It was here that the Jews had offered their children to the god Molech. According to 2 Kings 23.10, they never use it again as a sacrifice to son or daughter in the fire is offering to Molech. Now, here's how one author described the god Molech. Kind of put this picture in your head. Do we have a picture of Molech? Can't see that real well, but let me just, here it is. Molech was a large idol, half man, half bull. Half man, half bull, with a hollow abdomen. Under the enlarged genitals of the bull part of the image, a fire burned until the hollow abdomen glowed with heat. So they started a fire under the abdomen until it got red hot. Okay? The ancient idolater danced and performed various types of sexual activities with several partners in front of this false god. The reveling continued until a small child, a son or daughter of one of the orgy participants was thrown alive into the red-hot abdominal cavity. The child was seared to death. It shrieks and cries, only inciting greater mass hysteria. Understand this. In Jesus' day, Gehenna had become a garbage dump. They still burned garbage in this valley. The stench and smoke ascended 24 hours a day. This is the word Jesus used of hell. So primarily when you see Jesus speaking of hell, he used the word Gehenna. 
Understand, a Jew knew instantly when Jesus used that word, two things. It was a place of great shame for our people because they chose to worship the god Molech in this horrific way. And secondly, it's the garbage dump and the wind is coming out of the south. We smell that raunch from the garbage dump that burns 24 hours a day. When Jesus used the word Gehenna, instantly people knew exactly what that was. So let me give you a couple of illustrations here. Matthew 5, 22, uh, the words of Jesus. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, ooh, sometimes I do that when I drive, um, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That is the word Gehenna. Mark 9.43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go down into the unquenchable fires of hell, Gehenna, the garbage dump, burning with two hands. Think people understood exactly what he was talking about? (laughs) But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into Gehenna. Yes, he's the one to fear. So really, you want to go to hell because all your friends are there? Hell is the place of wrath, of weeping, of wailing, of darkness and fire and torment. These are all adjectives to describe Gehenna in the Bible. There is no water, there is no rest, there is no relief from the agony. It is constant, it is eternal. Hell is a place for punishment, not correction. We don't work anything off in this place. Hell is a place for punishment, not correction. And one of the most horrific things about hell is God has chosen to withdraw his presence from that place. There is no presence of God in hell. Think about that for a moment. That sends a shiver down my spine every time I even think about that. A place where the presence of God is not. Ah. Words cannot express the horror. The words that the Bible uses are figurative, they are spiritual, they are symbolic, they are literal, but they are totally inadequate to describe the horror of this place. Now, we in the church don't like talking about this much anymore. But the Bible does. And Jesus sure did. No one ever spoke stronger words about the reality of hell than Jesus Christ. This is his word, not mine. His teaching on the topic was reserved for two groups of people. And this is the point that I want to drill down on. You've heard me say it before. I've got to say it again. Two groups of people Jesus spoke to hell about. Who were they? Only two. Who did Jesus talk to hell about? Get your Bibles out. Get your concordance. Challenge me if you want. Go ahead. Go for it. Bring it. Bring it. Those who claimed to know God, but didn't. The religious leaders of his day. Second group, his disciples. Those he wanted to teach about what was to come. Never in the Bible does Jesus talk to a sinner about hell. I challenge you, show me one place in Scripture where Jesus talks to an unbeliever, a sinner, about hell. You will not find it. Only those who claimed to know God, but didn't, and his disciples who needed to be trained. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. 
Jesus never scared someone into heaven by talking about hell. He never did that. For me personally, when I come across a turn or burn preacher on the street, you're going to hell, you're going to perish, blah, 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 blah. That's not my style. God's going to lead others to do things differently. I get that, but I'm just saying, show me one place in the Bible where Jesus, my Savior, talked about hell to someone who needed heaven. Why? He came to bring good news, not to scare us into heaven. He wanted to present a reality. This, your life can be so much different. There's a place I'm going to prepare for you. It's going to blow your mind. I've got some really good news for you. And that's what we close with today, heaven. What do you think heaven will be like? Just go ahead. What do you think heaven will be like? Give me a word or two. What do you think heaven will be like? Bright. Peaceful. Loving. Good. Yep. Beautiful. What else? No pain, no sorrow, no more tears. Sammy? Ah, ah, lots of waterfalls and flowers. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Huh? Gold. You really think that's literal? I do. I do. Gold. Huh. Let's dig in a little bit here. Some claim to have a handle on heaven. I don't. I'm not one of them. TV talk shows and check out Lane tabloids tell these incredible tales about uh, those who died. They got a glimpse of heaven and they returned to us. Some of them atheists, some of them absolute non-believers. There are some common denominators. Tunnel, the bright light at the end of the tunnel, the music, the overwhelming sense of peace. I get all that, but I say be cautious. And I'm giving you permission to be skeptical. I say beware, because Satan himself appears as an angel of light, and if he can dupe people into thinking you can live the way you always have and still experience what everybody else says heaven is like, be very, very careful, my friend. And where Scripture is silent, we dare not let our own human experiences fill in the gaps where Scripture is silent. I'm not taking anybody's experience. I'm taking what the Word of God says. And when the Word of God does not speak to that, I'm not filling those gaps in with human experience. Be very, very cautious about that. And I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm saying, boy, when I hear an unbeliever or an atheist say, oh, yeah, I was taken up to heaven. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Be very careful. The Bible does say heaven and hell are prepared places for prepared people. Heaven and hell are prepared places for prepared people. The words of Jesus. This is from the Olivet Discourse. This is Tuesday, the last day of his public, uh, last day of public teaching before his execution on Good Friday. Jesus said, Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. What is hell? It's a prepared place for prepared people. What did God prepare hell for? The devil and his demons. He prepared hell for the devil and his demons. God does not send people to hell. People choose hell by rejecting the love of God. I want to make that point very, very clear. Our loving, just, holy God does not 
send people to hell. People choose hell by rejecting the love of God. God prepared hell for the devil and his demons. People who want to join them will be included in that vile place. Am I making this point very clear? I hope so. Because your eternal destiny may hinge on this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, Jesus would say now, hours before his execution. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. (laughs) So that you will always be with me where I am. I am going to prepare a place for you. What is he preparing for us? What do we call this place? Heaven. Heaven. It's not paradise. It's heaven. Heaven is not yet. Hell is not yet. Hades is now. Paradise is now. Heaven and hell are yet to appear. Now, heaven is one of the most pleasant, yes, one of the most difficult topics to talk about from the Bible, for me personally. The Bible is limited to our extremely inadequate human language but we can catch a glimpse of the glory the splendor that awaits those who are waiting for God who love God who have surrendered their lives to him we are so limited by our finiteness we are so limited by our dependence on time and space this is our world I gotta go here I gotta go there I gotta do this I gotta do that I gotta plan a mechanic I gotta do this You start talking about heaven and hell, we're taking outside the realm of space and time. We don't get that. It is another dimension. We, we, We can't, it's so hard for us to grasp these principles because we're so bound by time and space. God is not. It's totally other. But we can get a glimpse. It's almost inconceivable. The, the biblical evidence, though limited, is more than enough to give us a really nice appetizer before the main entree. Listen again to the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen nor ears heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven and hell are prepared places for prepared people. We can't imagine what God has prepared for us. Ah, it's mind-blowing. Right, Second Corinthians, he goes on. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. It just blew my mind. And that's John writing in Revelation. I can't write fast enough what I'm seeing, but it's just not enough. This thing is incredible. Oof. It's a completely new dwelling place and it's reserved for the people of God. The first heaven and the first earth are scorched. They're done away with. Now, God once destroyed the earth by what? Water. What's the promise? He will never do that again? The rainbow, right? But he didn't say, I'm not going to toast it, right? That he will do. Check it out. Yes. Uh, help me, Ron. Um, if people are made not to believe, I mean, is that not God's choice? Yeah, and here we wrestled in with the, the, the concept of free will and God's sovereignty. 
in putting those together what the church has been wrestling with since time began, right? There are some in this room that believe that God has everything preordained. Now, I'm one of them that believes that God has knows everything before it ever happened. Do you believe that? Everybody in the room should believe that. In fact, you know what that does to the book of life? Do you know when the book of life was written? According to the Bible? Before time began, God already wrote the book of life. He knows whose name is in there and whose is not. And he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Doesn't work that way. I don't want cosmic claws. I want God. Okay? And so God already knows the beginning from the end. The book of life does not have an eraser on a pencil. Like, oh, oh, you messed up. There goes your name. No, okay, you're back. We'll write it down again. Doesn't work that way. He's got no delete button on this thing, right? So the book of life was created before the foundations of the earth, Scripture says. So let's get that point right off the bat. God knows who's in and who's out. Now, in between that, do human beings have a choice? Or are we predestined, according to his foreknowledge, for heaven or hell? Because God knows in advance, who's going to be there? Doesn't it mean that you're already programmed whether you're in or out? Whether you make the varsity or you get cut? Huh? Oh, that's a whole other sermon. Love twisting your brain. I just love it. No, I don't have time for that. Ron, that's a great question. That has to do with sovereignty versus free will. And that is something that uh, people who love Jesus are on both spectrums. If we go a more uh, Reformed Baptistic route, they're going to say, oh, yeah, God has everything. And I don't care what you say, you're either in or out. Others will be on the uh, Wesleyan, Methodist kind of side that said, no, it's all about man's free will and the choice that you make. And so you've got the church dividing and splitting over some ridiculous stuff When I say this, God's in control. He knows the beginning from the end. I know what I have to do, and I'm not worried about you. I can't make any choices for you, but I know what I can do. I have a choice to make right now. And whether he has preordained my choice to be made now, don't make any difference. I still have to make a choice for Jesus. I have to. Oh, these are great questions. You know, sometimes we ought to just, I just do Q&A the whole service. Get some of the stuff out. Hmm, interesting. Okay, let's keep going. Ron, we can talk more about that if you like, but that's been debated forever, and uh, it's a valid question. It really is. It really is. But that does not stop us or change anything of what Jesus is asked to do. He asked us to love God with all of our heart, to love our neighbor as self, to go and make disciples of all the nations. It does not change the mission, the commandments, We still have choices to make about whether we're going to obey God. And you don't know. I don't know who's in and who's out. Now, I'm not afraid of who's in and who's out. I'm quite secure that when you're singing at my funeral, I will rise. I'm gone, baby. I'm gone. You don't cry for me. Uh Uh-uh. No more sorrow. No more pain. Leah, did you hear me? I love you, sweetie. All right. So, 
But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. On that day he will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. We're toasting this, folks. John wrote at the end of the book, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Okay? So there's something new coming. That's why I'm saying by this. Just a couple of heavenly observations. Now again, we're doing the, the big high overview of heaven and hell. I wish I had more time. And maybe next summer or some other time, if you guys really want, we can bring some of this back and, and drill down a little bit deeper. This is just really the real big overview. All right, heavenly observations. We are reunited with loved ones who died in Christ. Reunite with loved ones who have died in Christ. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing I will be. Yeah, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Go on, everybody. When we, no, forget it. Okay. How many of you have someone waiting for you in heaven right now that you desperately long to see again? And you miss them so. And maybe that wound is really fresh right here. It's like, man, oh man, I really miss them. I really miss them. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, those who are waiting and longing for his appearing. What a reunion that's going to be. There'll be no marriage in heaven. In the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And uh, again, I don't like bashing what other people think, but the Mormons are, don't have it quite right on this. There's no such thing as eternal marriage according to Scripture. just want to make that point very clear. Okay? We will enjoy fellowship with people of faith who have gone before us. Now, if you think about all the Bible characters, all the characters in the Bible, who would you like to sit down and talk with? Just shout out some names. Paul? Aaron, hmm? Samson. Samson, yeah, dude, what were you thinking? Well, who else? Good. Noah. Noah, cool. Who? Eve. Oh, I have never heard anyone say Eve. That is totally cool. Eve, what were you thinking? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> relationships will be elevated to new levels of complete intimacy this excites me so much about heaven here on this earth we have these fleeting moments of intimacy with another person I'm talking way beyond sexual I'm talking about when you just connect and there's an eternal moment right there into me see and we are locked and there's nothing there we're just two people God created and our hearts are connected in that moment. It only lasts for a brief moment. What, what really intrigues me about eternity is to have complete intimacy with God and with everyone else. Complete intimacy. Oh, that boggles my mind. I look forward to that. So Revelation 21 and 22 gives us a glimpse of heaven. Now some would say this is symbolic for me. There's really no reason not to take this stuff literally. Literally. So we get to New Jerusalem. 
points to a real place, but try as we might, John couldn't possibly express what this place was like. He sees New Jerusalem descending out of heaven as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. New Jerusalem. I hope you like city living. I've been from New York to L.A., from Canton, China, to Paris, France, from Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, to Bangkok, Thailand, and everywhere in between. This city is something unique. This city appears to be a pyramid, a square, or a ball. I don't care how you translate it. But anyway, it's 1,400 miles, according to dimensions given in Scripture. A place in the U.S. that would reach from the tip of Maine to the tip of Florida as far west as Denver. There's a lot of elbow room in this place we call New Jerusalem. In my father's house, there's many rooms. Oh, there's many rooms. The Bible says light fills every part of this city, even though there's no sun or lights of any kind. <laughs> the city shimmers, it shines. I believe there are pearly gates. I believe there are streets of gold. No reason not to take that in any other way. The tree of life will be available for all of us. Sammy, you got some incredible flora and fauna going on here. The end of the Bible blends perfectly with the beginning. The first and last chapters just kind of bring it all back together. They're strangely similar. The scriptures begin and end with a perfect plan. Paradise, paradise lost, paradise restored. When we all get to heaven. Now, in my life, God has used dreams and visions on occasions. It hasn't happened often, but when God chooses to speak to me in this way, it is life transforming. And I tell you, God has never given me a glimpse of heaven. Over my years, he has given me glimpses of hell. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I have seen it. That is my experience. And it always changes me. And it crushes me. And it humbles me. Because I know people who are headed to this place. I know people who are in that place. And it's heartbreaking. Showing me the agony of hell. That's why I'm compelled to challenge you to turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. The king is coming. We don't know when. We don't know how it's going to look. But the invitation is for all of us to come to him. Let me close with this passage from Revelation, the words of our Lord. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their what? deeds. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worship. All those who I love this one. All who love to live a lie. (laughs) Let anyone who's thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, you will never thirst again. Jesus offers us life-giving water. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you waiting for his appearing? No one knows when it will be. God is preparing a place for us. Not even the angels in heaven know when that moment's going to be. Son, go. It's time. The end could be near that any of us think, are you ready? Are you ready? If you have a question about that, we'd love to talk to you. Love to share with you the good news of how you can know that you're ready. And if you are ready, are we living for him? Because ready or not, here he comes. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. The word literally means come, Lord. Come, Lord. Maranatha. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Will you live for him? Let's stand together and rejoice in the fact he is coming.